welcome to the wicket. Hello and welcome to The Wicket with our first episode of 2024, looking at the world of cricket locally in the Gulf, regionally across Asia and worldwide. I'm Brian Murgatroyd and with me as ever to pick over events across the globe are Arab News columnist John Pike and Arab News cricket reporter Sebash Hamagain. Hello, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, Brian, and to um, all those listening. Happy New Year, Brian and John, and our listeners. Well, in this episode, we'll be talking about the Australian women's tour of India, the first test of the South Africa-India series, and the second match of Pakistan's test tour of Australia. We'll be reflecting on the chatter around the future of test cricket in both the men's and women's games. We look back on the UAE's 2020 International Series with Afghanistan. There's the opportunity to digest the Bangladesh men's white ball tour of New Zealand and what it means for the Tigers going forward. And we look ahead to Zimbabwe's men's white ball tour of Sri Lanka. So, as ever... Plenty to fit into this episode, so let's get cracking. We begin with the Australian Women's Tour of India, a tour that features all three formats of the game, a test plus one-day internationals and 2020 internationals. India won the one-off test match just before Christmas by eight wickets to make it back-to-back test victories for Harman Preet Kaur's side after they'd earlier dispatched England by an innings. Australia never recovered from a substandard first-innings score in their test encounter, making only 219. And then they allowed India's tail to wag as the home side scored 406. And despite some fight in the second innings from Australia, India were left with just 75 to win and knocked off the runs comfortably. But Australia's taken revenge in the one-day international series. You can be sure of that. They've won that 3-0. The first match was won thanks to a commanding batting display chasing down India's 282 for eight with six wickets and more than three overs in hand before they dug deep in game two to defend what initially looked like a subpar 258 for eight. They won that one by three runs. But then in game three, Australia blitzed the Indians, making 338 for seven before rolling over India for just 148 in response. Phoebe Litchfield scored 119 in that final one-day international, while Captain Alyssa Healy returned to form with 82, and Litchfield was player of the series with 260 runs, two half centuries, and that 100. John, let's look at the test first of all. We've mentioned that Australia didn't bat well enough, but did they get their selection wrong too, I wonder? Lauren Cheetle, she played as a seam bowler, but managed just nine overs in the match. Should they have found room for another spinner, I wonder? Rather unusually, I think they backed themselves into a corner with that selection. Cheetle's been out of internationals for four years following injury. Um, She had a very successful um, women's big blast um, this year, or last year, with 19 wickets in 10 games and was very economical. Um, She brings something different as a a left-armer. And she was only selected to play in the test. So it's sort of been an admission of uh, of error not not to have picked her, but um, you really do need uh, spin in India rather than than seam bowling, as, as they found out to their cost. 
And Sebastian, it seems, as we predicted on the last episode, that women's test cricket is gaining more and more fans within the administration of the game. And it certainly has the players expressing love for it as well. There's been now suggestions of multiple tests between at least uh, the big three sides of India, Australia and England in the future. What are your thoughts? Uh, indeed, I think India's interest in the format is most needed for the growth of the game uh, with results coming their way. And other teams keen to play against, uh, I think this will only mean better. The WPL, once again, I think it has put women's cricketers back on the spotlight. Uh, whatever format is, Indian fans follow the sport. And we've seen numbers uh, expecting these one-off tests to now add up to multiple matches. And hopefully India will have test series in away tours too. John, Australia is certainly hitting back in the one-day international series. But the biggest gulf between the teams seems to be the fielding. Yes, it could have been uh, so much difference in the, in the second match had they held um, at least two or three of the chances that came their way. India's catching was an issue against England. Then they blamed inexperience uh, under lights. It seems to run deeper than that. They know they have to work on it. And the old adage, catches win matches. Absolutely, they do. Sebash, Australia, despite the loss of Meg Lanning with that shock retirement uh, last year and Alyssa Healy's modest form with the bat prior to the final One Day International, they seem to be making a statement, don't they, ahead of next year's ICC Women's World Cup in India. Are they still the side to beat? I think Australia have proven their supremacy once again and with the World Cup due to be held in India, I think this clean sweep will give them a huge mental ease and... Uh, they're facing India at their tough, but I think they performed brilliantly. Uh, batting in this condition was tougher for them, but they took the challenge well. I think in the last ODI, top order proved out right. I think they had excellent partnership at the top, and that meant the bowlers, they had their time, and they backed up well to the batters as well. So I think it was a real team effort and would be a great motivation factor going ahead of the World Cup. So still the T20i series to play there between the two sides, and we'll cover that action in our next podcast. Let's talk now about South Africa versus India, the men's tour that's taking place in the south of the African continent. As we record this podcast, the second test between the sides is getting underway in Cape Town. We'll chat about that action in our next episode. But in the meantime, let's review the Boxing Day test at Centurion and it turned out to be a very one-sided encounter. There were hundreds for K.L. Raoul of India and Dean Elgar of South Africa, the latter in his final series before retiring. But India were rolled over in less than three days by an innings and 32 runs as the South Africa scene bowlers enjoyed themselves at a venue where history shows us it always becomes harder to bat as the match progresses. Subash, did you see India's capitulation coming? I think yes, because South Africa has not been a happy hunting, hunting ground for India and they don't have someone to hold the innings like Uzara Rahane or Vyari did in the past. I think uh, they should get someone to see out the overs if the team is in trouble. And uh, I see that problems uh, coming in other matches too. We've seen several instances of these individuals holding the innings and opening way for someone like Virat or Rishabh to accelerate the innings in the latter end. And once uh, these players are not there, I think the pressure of wickets falling have uh, suffered uh, India a lot. Uh, in bowling-wise also, I think South Africa's reserve pressures would get into India's eleven easily. I think the bowlers have not been up to the mark, uh, the quality of bowlers, the difference we see in two sides. And to add up, I think Marco Jensen has been a real revelation for South Africa. It's like playing with 12 players with bat and ball. He's been exceptional and South Africa... 
Uh, I think they they had their they, it'll be easier for them to, to go to nil up if India doesn't change their squad. John, a word on Dean Elgar. We mentioned he got a hundred in that uh, Test match. It's his uh, last series before retiring. I, I've heard it said that the best way to go out is by leaving the crowd wanting more rather than overstaying your welcome. But it really does seem a shame, doesn't it, to see his uh, retirement given he's obviously got the ability to continue to produce at the highest level. It is a great shame. Um, I think he's 36 now. The coach uh, of South Africa, I think, is looking to to bring on younger talent. Um, He's been a gutsy opener, although I think in the first test match, he unveiled some cover drives that um, he'd been keeping quiet for a few years. He said one reason for... His retirement is is that there's not enough test cricket uh, coming up for South Africa. Why not go to New Zealand then when experience is needed, uh, going with a very depleted side? Something doesn't seem quite right. He's captaining the second test, which, as you mentioned, started. So maybe uh, his last innings, uh, one of the first test match of 185, uh, won't be the one that he's going to be remembered for. Well, the lead-up to that second test has featured comment about the South Africa squad to go to New Zealand. West Indies have chosen seven uncapped players for their upcoming tour of Australia, and that followed the South Africa selection with a host of uncapped players named, including an uncapped captain, Neil Brand. South Africa seem to have put all their eggs in the basket of the SA20, wanting their best players around for that domestic tournament. But John, this surely does untold damage to the credibility of the test format, doesn't it? Well, it's um, proving controversial. Steve Waugh's already come out accusing cricket's administrators of hastening the, the death knell for test cricket. He's suggesting that maybe it's, it's going to result in only four or five countries actually competing in test matches uh, in the future. When a, a big name like uh, like Waugh comes out, then you really do sense that there's something moving behind the scenes. Dean Elgar was quite interesting when he said that you know, the players want to play test cricket but we don't have any say what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, we just play when where we're told. I think there is a, a big danger that um, uh, those running the game have, are seeing only dollars in front of their eyes and um, seem to be not taking a longer term view and getting a balance uh, between, the, between the various formats to suit the players, spectators, as well as the sponsors. Sebash, we mentioned that West Indies selection West Indies players like Jason Holder and Kyle Mayers, they've opted out of the Australia tour to play franchise cricket. Do you have sympathy for them, given they simply don't get paid the same amount for their international duty as, say, an England or an Australia cricketer? Well, they are professional cricketers, Brian, and I think uh, we're slowly getting into that phase that we feared about now. Players frequently choosing franchise cricket to national duties, and it's not just big tournaments like IPL, BBL or PSL now. Other up-and-coming franchise leagues, uh, they have started to target big stars and offer them big money, something the players look forward to as professional cricketers. I think uh, the ball is on the court of the respective boards now to bring something to balance out things, uh, managing calendars, maybe NOCs on per player per tournament basis would be an ideal thing. Uh, if not, I think we may see p- big players uh, only featuring in ICC tournaments and the bilateral series slowly losing their sum. John, you've mentioned Steve Waugh already, calling the current selections a defining moment for the future of Test cricket. Pat Cummins, he's talked about a silver bullet to help cure the fact that Test cricket seems to be an unloved format in the hands of administrators. 
But I have to say, it, it seems to be a case of all talk and no action at the moment. Do you think administrators are happy or at least content to see test cricket wither on the vine? And, and what needs to be done to ensure its longevity? I saw Steve War's comments about maybe having a fund from the ICC that ensures that match payments for test match cricket are, are more equal across the board. Is, is that a start? Possibly. Pat Cummins mentioned a silver bullet without actually saying what it might be. Uh, he said he hoped that there would be one that could be found. It's a battle between money and cricket's heritage. And I think it is a lot of talk at the moment. We'd like to see, I think a lot of us would like to see much more action. And maybe this is the uh, the catalyst that's going to open up a discussion to try and um, ensure that test cricket can be maintained. Um, maybe a little bit reduced, certainly maintained um, as part of, uh, of cricket's heritage, as War said. How dare people seem content to let something wither on the vine that's been the uh, birthplace of, uh, of Bradman and, and Grace and, and Sobers and the likes. Yes, it's a, a fascinating situation. And of course, we'll keep across it here at the wicket. Let's move on now to Australia versus Pakistan. As we record this episode of the podcast, the two sides are starting the third and final test of their series in Sydney. David Warner's tests one song before he heads to the UAE to play for the Dubai Capitals in the upcoming DP World ILT20. We'll chat about that Sydney test next time. But in the meantime, let's look back on the Boxing Day test, which was a cracking encounter. It was won by Australia by 79 runs to take an unassailable 2-0 lead in the series. And uh, it was the wickets man of 2023, Australia captain Pat Cummins, who led the way. He uh, produced a superb performance, 10 wickets in the match, and he passed 250 test wickets during the course of that effort. John, I know you're a big fan of Pat Cummins, but even you must be running out of superlatives for him now. Not yet. A fabulous <laughs> end uh, to an incredible year for him. And I think the most impressive feature of, uh, of that test match was that he brought himself back into the attack at critical moments to make crucial breakthroughs. That really is a sign of, uh, of great leadership. And he also made light of complaints about the technology and, and, uh, and about the umpires. So um, not yet out of superlatives. Shabash, it was, in the end, a match of fine margins, and Pakistan will look back, I'm sure, and think, what if they dropped catches, most notably Mitchell Marsh in the second innings, when Abdullah Shafiq, had he caught him, it would have made Australia 46 for five, and the target for Pakistan may have remained very much within their compass. Uh, it's all very well to blame other things, but uh, you've got to look after your own business. And, and Pakistan simply didn't catch their catches, did they? Indeed, Brian. I think Pakistan had outside chance when they pinned Australia to 16 for four in the second innings. Uh, that drop of March was the turning point. Even while seizing in the fourth innings, despite the target, I think Pakistan could have dragged the game a bit further. But coming spell with uh, Rizwan's wicket uh, ended the game. I think the game was done within five overs of Rizwan's departure, uh, similar to what we saw in the first test. I think uh, Pakistan have not been able to carry on momentum they have for a longer period. I think uh, the batters have not been backed up well. They have stitched up partnerships, but uh, the bigger partnerships, the match-winning partnership are still lacking. And if they don't show great until the end uh, in coming matches, I think uh, the, the whitewash is evident. And Subash, I'll just pick up on something that John mentioned there about Mohamed Hafiz railing at inconsistent umpiring and technology after that Melbourne test. 
Did he have a point, do you think? I would like to differ, uh, Brian, because uh, we are using technology and there will be debates on its efficiency. But I think uh, his statement came after that all-important wicket of Rizwan, which uh, proved to be a game-changer as well. But I don't think uh, there were any big blunders that you start doubting the use of technology overall. Uh, we've seen the debates in the past without the use of technology. So we've, we've come, we've used this on our own. So I think it's only good to give umpires the benefit of doubt and get it double sick with the use of technology. I think uh, it's need of time now. Uh, we can work on how to make it better, but I think doubting the technology overall, I think it's it's, it's not it's not ask of time at the moment. And John, what's happened to Barbara Azam? They really needed him to stand up and score, but his scores in this series, actually, in the first two tests have been very modest, 21 14, 1 and 41, they're not the returns you'd expect from a player of his ability. Is it a World Cup hangover? Perhaps, I don't know, a hangover uh, after losing the captaincy or resigning the captaincy, whatever you want to call it. What's the reason, do you think, for his uh, his struggles? Well, it certainly it seems to go deeper than just a World Cup hangover. His captaincy was, well, it did seem troubled and, and he was confrontational. I think he may have upset some people along the way. His game has suffered during that time and, and looks like his mental approach to it has, uh, has suffered. We can't know the full story, but it is a big disappointment from such a talented player. And I imagine he's going to be upset, not only about captaincy but also about um, his own loss of form and uh, one hopes that he, he comes through it um, fairly quickly. So that's uh, a look back at that second test in Melbourne and we'll look back at the third test in Sydney in our next episode. Let's chat now about one of the leading associate teams, that's the UAE. They've hosted Afghanistan in a three-match 2020 international series in Sharjah and it's produced some compelling cricket. In match one, Ramanullah Gurbas, the Afghanistan opening bat, once again he underlined his credentials as one of the leading short-form opening batters about with a brilliant 100 from 52 balls that meant that the visitors scored 203, which was far too many for the UAE. But in game two, the hosts hit back with an 11-run win. They were half-centuries for captain Mohamed Wazim and Arian Lakra, and four wickets apiece for Ali Nazir, the young all-rounder, and Mohamed Jawadullah, the left armour. It set up the series decider, and Afghanistan actually won that quite comfortably, restricting the UAE to 126 for nine before chasing that down with four wickets and nine balls in hand. Sebash, this series, uh, the result follows on from the UAE only narrowly losing a three-match series against New Zealand last August. Is it evidence of real progress for the UAE, I wonder, especially their young players like Ali Nazir and Arian Lakra, as well as Richard Aravind, who made an unbeaten 70 in match one? I think UAE has been playing splendid cricket over the years. I think uh, their domestic structure, especially the ILT20, uh, it has been a real pivotal to give the platform for youngsters like Ali Nazir, Britti Aravind himself, Arian Lakra. We've seen under-19 players getting big deals, uh, getting to play with old-class players, and that has uh, helped them to uh, set up against the, these big teams like New Zealand and Afghanistan. I think uh, they don't have that fear factor to play against. But one disadvantage, I would say, is uh, they're missing the World Cup. I think that would be a real monument for the UAE cricket overall. But uh, 
they faced against Nepal. They were group winners, but uh, one bad game and they missed out on the World Cup. But I think uh, there's so much to offer in within that young squad. I think they, they're playing the Asia Cup qualifier, T20 qualifiers uh, sooner now. So the UAE cricket, I think it's only getting better from here. They've gone through the transition period. They've got good talents coming up. They have started performing as well. So if you are a UAE cricket fan, I think you, you'd be excited to see these youngsters play. Yes, John, Sebastian mentioned there the fact that uh, the UAE have missed out on this year's T20 World Cup in the Caribbean and the USA. It's a crying shame, isn't it? It really is. It's very sad. They don't quite seem to be getting the return that their investment and their strategy deserve, uh, nor um, that their abilities deserve. What is reassuring is that the uh, the policy of focusing on the development of young players is showing dividends, and I'm sure that they will get stronger and stronger and more successful. Yes, all credit there to Mudassa Nazar, the former Pakistan all-rounder, who's been very much at the forefront of that development of uh, the younger players in the UAE. And uh, from that perspective, at least, they continue to go from strength to strength. But Sabash... What do you read into Afghanistan's performances? There's obviously been a bit going on off the field. I think that's fair to say. The no-objection certificates of three players, Mujib Rahman, Naveen Ul-Haq and Fazal Haq Faruqi, they were withdrawn by the Afghanistan Cricket Board after all three wanted to play franchise cricket instead of for their country. Naveen and Faisal are now back in the fold. Uh, Naveen actually took four wickets in that third and final T20 international, but he has been banned from playing in the DP World ILT20 in the UAE for refusing to play for the Sharjah Warriors without an improved contract, which is what he wanted. And Mujib, well, he's been pulled out of the ongoing Big Bash League in Australia, where he's been playing for the Melbourne Renegades. It's uh, <laughs> There's a fair bit going on there, isn't there? The situation, I think it's not good for board as well as the professional cricketers. So once Afghanistan has been playing well, I think the demand for the players in franchise cricket has been increasing day by day. I think it was uh, started with Rashid Khan and Mohamed Nabi. Now you can see in the IPL itself, uh, Rahman Lagurbaz being retained. I think Omar Zai has got in. Uh, good deal, uh, even though he got, he got less money, I think he can prove himself over the years. But uh, Afghanistan cricket, but I think there should be a sensible ending to this uh, controversy. I think uh, the players they will be in demand. I think the one of the reasons Afghanistan cricket has strived forward is these players playing in different conditions and they being able to perform against these big teams because they have been playing in France as cricket. I think you can't. Uh, just denounce uh, franchise cricket overall and just uh, ask them to focus on uh, international cricket, uh, financial side or uh, skill set side. I think uh, it will hamper the players and the board both. So I think uh, all these players and boards should come together and look for a better uh, solution. John, Jonathan Trott, he signed on as Afghanistan coach for another year. Looking at what happened in the ICC Cricket World Cup, where they were a Glenn Maxwell innings away from a shot at the semi-finals. He seems to have had a pretty good effect on them. Yes, it's good to see. Um, he was not an obvious candidate for such a role, but given the issues that he had at the end of his career, he's probably got empathy levels which fit well with uh, the situation uh, for the Afghanis. Not an easy job. Yes, remember, uh, he only got the job on the basis of Graham Thorpe having to pull out due to a medical emergency so uh, he certainly made the most of that uh, opportunity. Afghanistan, they're now heading to India for three 2020 internationals, starting on Thursday, January the 11th, all part of both sides' preparations for the T20 World Cup in the USA and the Caribbean.
Bangladesh's white ball tour of New Zealand is over and it turned out to be a very competitive encounter between the two sides. New Zealand won the One Day International Series 2-1 with Bangladesh rolling over New Zealand for just 98 in the final match in Napier and that was Bangladesh's first win in New Zealand in a One Day International. They romped home by nine wickets with just 15 overs uh, gone. In the 2020 International Series, that was shared 1-1 with match two washed out. Sebash, it was fascinating to hear Chandika Hatharasinghe's comments afterwards, the Bangladesh coach. He called it a successful tour, which given Bangladesh's history of travelling poorly, is probably fair enough, isn't it? Indeed, a fair one. I think Bangladesh, we've seen them struggle uh, away from home. Uh, they've got results to so far at home conditions, but uh, when they go away, I think it's it's tough to expect results from them. But lately, they have, they've got the performance that has helped them get the results. And after thing, I think he was, uh, he was right to make that comment because it, there, we saw some uh, real team performance in, the, in this tour as well. There was no any individual brilliance. Young players coming up. Uh, they have got uh, replacement ready for uh, senior players. Uh, I think uh, since the World Cup, I think Tamim Iqbal's uh, place uh, had been a real controversy. The board was under pressure, but uh, the young players have stepped in and getting these results will make, make it easier for board. I think uh, they have to be some a bit defensive towards these new generation players. But uh, it's a fair, fair comment to say that uh, New Zealand Tour have been... A successful one for them. John Hathras Singer's comments were also interesting for the way he praised Najmul Hussain Shanto and said under him and without some senior players on the trip, the atmosphere in the dressing room was, in his words, much better. If you were Shakib Al Hassan, the captain who was absent from this trip, how would you read that? Hassan, of course, is no stranger to controversy. We saw that um, with Angelo Matthews, of course, in the, in the World Cup. I read that he, he's got ambitions, you know, aspirations to be a politician. If I was him and looking from the outside uh, with fairly volatile nature, I think I'd take it pretty personally and maybe feel that uh, maybe I was trying to be sidelined. So given Hassan's standing in cricket uh, in his country, I would imagine there may be some interesting discussions about to take place, and I wouldn't bet on Hassan coming out on top. Yes, he's uh, very good at coming out on top and has done over many, many years, so we'll watch this space. Uh, No question about that. But, Sebash, the T20 World Cup is just six months away, Should New Zealand be concerned by these white ball performances or do you expect them to step up in the Caribbean and the USA? Well, I think the story has been the same for the past few years with New Zealand. I think they've not got the results they wanted in bilateral series, but when it comes to the major events, I think they get the team sorted, they get the results. Uh, Towards the end point, I think they falter away, but I think... uh, for World Cups, I think New Zealand are always a better side. They well equipped with their strengths. We saw this time as well. I think they were uh, on paper. If you see, they were not the best side. But uh, once the game started, they had individuals performing. Their team unit uh, came strong, and I think that's what going we were going to see in the Caribbean with uh, T20 specialists all over. I think uh, New Zealand will be a team to beat. Let's look ahead now to the Sri Lanka against Zimbabwe white ball series. And after a 2023 to forget when they failed to qualify for both the 50 over Cricket World Cup and this year's T20 World Cup, Zimbabwe are back on the horse with a tour consisting of three one-day internationals and three 2020 internationals. 
which starts on Saturday the 6th of January. Craig Irvine is back after injury and captains the one-day international side, while Sikander Raza remains as T20i captain. Sean Williams, though, is absent with a side injury, and he's a massive loss given his ability to bowl spin and play spin. But there are also a host of inexperienced and uncapped players in the squad, and the team is coached by Walter Chawaguta, someone who's been around the national setup for many years and has stepped in in an interim capacity as coach after Dave Houghton's time came to an end following the dual failures in the Cricket World Cup and the T20 World Cup qualifiers. Sebastian, it's asking a lot of this group, isn't it, to go to Sri Lanka? Never an easy place to tour and be competitive, isn't it? I think we're, after what happened against Ireland at home turf, uh, there's nothing more worse than this. Whatever is the result, I think Sri Lanka, they'll want to look at the positives uh, with some new players going in, uh, new coaching staff. I think they will want to have a fresh start. They, it, it has been a year to forget for them. And uh, only fresh start would uh, mean something. I think individuals... Uh, like Sikandar Rajas have a big pressure to get uh, things back on track. And Sri Lanka, if they can get anything out of Sri Lanka, I think that would be a huge boost to get a fresh start for this year. John, it certainly is uh, root and branch stuff, isn't it? Uh, it looks like Zimbabwe really grasping the nettle to rebuild ahead of a tilt at reaching the 2027 Cricket World Cup. Yes, it's going to be a long haul, though, given those recent failures. Yes, it certainly is. There's no question about that. And, uh, well, we'll keep an eye on what's going on in that Sri Lanka-Zimbabwe uh, series. And uh, we'll update you here in the next episode of The Wicket. Finally, as we always do, gentlemen, what are your plans for this week, cricket-wise? And what are you looking forward to, Sebastian, first of all? I think it's going to be a week full of test cricket. Uh, we start the morning with uh, Pakistan versus Australia, then... As soon as it ends, we're going to have India South Africa. I hope both the tests go five days, which has been hard to find by with our side struggling. But I think Pakistan and India will put up some fight in both these games. And John, uh, what about you? Uh, I presume as well as those test matches, you'll probably be tuned into the India Australia T Twenty International uh, for the women, uh, because of course that's a that's a key thing, really, a key series ahead of the uh, the 2020 World Cup that those women are going to be playing in Bangladesh later on this year. Yes, I agreed with that. I agree with um, looking forward to test matches, which will start to see how they unfold. As Subhash said, I think uh, India certainly will be looking to um, uh, to strike back. Whether Pakistan have got the um, the strength to do so, I think we'll, we'll see. But um, for the women's uh, T20, yes, we I get some um, some clues as to um, how they're going to fare when the World, Women's World Cup comes around. Well, that's all for the future, but uh, hopefully you've enjoyed our little chat about uh, what's been going on in the world of the Gulf region, Asia and worldwide here at The Wicket. And we'll be back soon with more cricket chat. Don't worry about that. Please don't forget to like, subscribe and comment on what you've heard. Wherever you get your podcast, we'd love to hear your feedback and let us know if there's anything you'd like us to feature in future episodes. For now, though, this is Brian Murgatroyd, along with John Pike and Sebastian Hummergain, saying thanks for listening and we look forward to your company next time. <laughs>